We're in Matthew, uh, pardon me, Mark. Mark <laughs> chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. I was in my mind thinking about, <clears throat> you know, Matthew 24 and 25 uh, is the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Mark chapter 13 is the Olivet Discourse. And Luke 21 is the Olivet Discourse. All three of those gospels give us the uh, answer that Jesus gave, uh, the longest answer he ever gave to any question written in the Bible, all the other answers he gives to questions are usually fairly short and sweet. Uh, you can you know, speak them in maybe 10 seconds for the most part. But this one is, uh, is a long answer because it's important, I think. Um, and Matthew gives the two huge chapters. Matthew 24 and 25 is the fullest uh, account of that. And so tonight, I'm not gonna try to exhaustively uh, you know, um, teach through the Olivet Discourse as much as I wanna look at the way Mark puts it and kind of look at his account. If you're looking for the kind of the deeper, you know, four-week study of the Olivet Discourse, we did that in Matthew 24 and 25. Um, but, um, you know, Jesus, when he speaks this long on a, on a single topic, it, it's, it strikes me as emphasis. Jesus put an emphasis on the last days, the end times, the tribulation period, the abomination of desolation, uh, all those things. Jesus puts an exclamation point here for us uh, as he answers the disciples' questions. And if Jesus emphasizes future events, shouldn't we? And we talked about that on Sunday, uh, this, uh, you know, here in Mark 13, we looked at how Jesus told us to watch and we talked about what that actually means. Um, you know, it's interesting, by the way, on Bible prophecy and churches that will, are willing to deal with Bible prophecy and just kind of, maybe this is my own little world and I, I've noticed that some people kind of like, Brett, why do you always talk about this stuff? But maybe it's my own little world. But um, I had a friend come up and say, man, you were talking about the kind of the hatred for mega churches today. Have you guys seen that? It's kind of a big trend. If you're, if you're not following church trends, um, it's kind of a funny thing. And they thought, they said, Brad, I, we, didn't, we didn't know what you were talking about. Then, then they, I guess they saw some special on TV or something and said, wow, it's, it's bad. But um, one of the things that's funny is there's, you know, everybody throws everybody in the same, you know, basket, you know, mega churches are all bad, you know, kind of thing. But um, one of the things that marks a difference, there's the mega church, you know, that's kind of like the marketing the church, let's make it cool and hip and try to have the smoke and lights and let's get as many people here as possible. And it's all about church growth and they have committees and stuff. There's that mega church. And a lot of those, by the way, are failing right now, ever since the COVID thing, for whatever reason, we could get into all that. But a lot of those churches are failing and those mega churches are, are not doing, they're not super healthy right now. There's still big churches trying to recover uh, from that. Um, but there's also mega churches that have nothing to do with marketing the church. In fact, most of the churches I, I think of that are maybe more related to Athey Creek, um, none of us tried to be a mega church. It wasn't something we were shooting for. Um, but one of the things you'll see is um, Bible prophecy. Teaching Bible prophecy is something that draws people to say, what's, what's going on in the days we're living? We're curious about what the Bible says about the last days, the end times. And as it turns out, it's, it's a very legitimate concern because one fourth of the Bible deals with Bible prophecy. And if you don't talk about Bible prophecy, whoosh, you're ripping out one fourth of the Bible and saying, yeah, it's not important for today. And sadly, that's the other side of mega churches. There's a lot of mega churches out there that would never talk about Bible prophecy at all. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. Uh, uh, but, but how often should we talk about Bible prophecy? Well, I've got a, a couple opinions about that. One, verse by verse through the Bible, gives you the right frequency. So tonight we're talking about, you know, end times, Bible prophecy, because we're in Mark chapter 13. That's what this whole chapter's about. So where we're at in the Bible is what we're gonna talk about. And I love that it's a safety net for us not to get our own little tangents of topics and stuff. Well, Brett, then why do you have a prophecy update? Because that's, that's more of a tangent. Well, here's the thing. Just remember, Sundays and Wednesdays, that's our bread and butter here at Athe Creek. We just go right through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. That's our main thing, Sundays and Wednesdays. Once a month, um, I feel like it's appropriate. If, if you wanna join us on a Friday night to talk about what Jesus said, watch over and over again here in our passage about the end times, um, that's what the Prophecy Update is about. Just watching, discerning the times, seeing what's going on around the world. What, is it, um, what does the Bible say the last days are gonna look like? And let's kind of compare. And so that we're not overtaken by a, like a thief. And we get to walk in children of the light. We talked about this on Sunday, not in children of darkness. 
Um, and we, we know the times and the seasons. You won't know the day or the hour, but how will we know the times and seasons? By watching uh, what's going on in the world. So we kind of feel like it's, it's, it's a fun. Churches don't have to do a prophecy update like we do, or uh, you know, it's not the only way to do things, but uh, some pastors do it every other day. Uh, you know, I, I, that might be too much emphasis, I don't know. Uh, but for me, I kind of feel like once a month's a good, a good uh, cadence just to kind of catch up on what's going on around the world. So Friday night, we'll be doing that. First Fridays of each month um, online. Well, this Olivet Discourse, uh, Jesus uh, is gonna talk about uh, what's going on in the world and, uh, and how, how, uh, what, what are some of the things we're supposed to watch for. You know, the question we ask um, you know, often is, are we living in the last days? Um, and I know that there's a lot of Christians in history who have believed they were living in the last days. Um, and I think they, they were right to be wrong. Uh, anybody who lived their life as a Christian, watching for, waiting for, hoping for the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, they were right to be wrong. Um, in other words, the way he wants his people to live is to watch and to be ready, sober, vigilant, be the faithful servant who's busy doing the work of the Lord because the day, an hour, we don't know. So we should be busy about the work of the kingdom, serving the Lord, spreading the gospel. We talked about that as well on Sunday. So, um, you know, I think we, it, it's a good thing to be sort of a last days kind of believer. And even if we're wrong and we uh, die and are you know, buried and uh, you know, raised up uh, from the grave into heaven, uh, either way, it's all good. Um, we'll be taken up to heaven either way. I think that's good. It's a win-win for us. But I, I've found as a Christian who's living with the anticipation of the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, that's the way to live. Um, if you're not thinking about that, things look pretty doomy and gloomy to me. Uh, when I see bad things going on in the world, I'm always thinking, wow, this could be the day. You know, the Lord could return soon. Uh, and there's signs of that. And it gives me hope. And I put my joy. I'm not into doom and gloom. I'm into boom and zoom. Uh, the rapture of the church, zoom into heaven, it's gonna be glorious. So that's kind of a, um, a, an important part. Now, by the way, um, here in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is gonna give us some of those signs of the times uh, and, and evidence. And, and we can look at this and say, does this sort of seem like we're getting closer? Uh, we can just compare. By the way, Pew Research did a, a poll uh, December 8th on 2022. Um, and, and they said about four in 10 United States adults believe humanity is living in the end times. That, that's interesting, four in 10. Uh, in the United States, 39% of adults say they believe we're living in the end times. Christians are divided on this question with 47% saying we are living in the end times. Uh, that's interesting that, you know, 53% of Christians don't believe we're living in the end times. That's, that's interesting. About three in 10 or fewer people from, uh, from non-Christian religions, 29% uh, of them, uh, they believe that we're living in the last days, which is interesting too. Uh, by the way, there's several non-Christian religions that believe in sort of an eschatology of their own. Uh, the Islamic eschatology is a fascinating study. Um, it's sort of the reverse of everything Christian eschatology. And uh, we've done studies on the 12th Imam, the Messiah of the Muslim faith, which is, looks a lot like the Antichrist, uh, actually, uh, shockingly. Um, they have a, a guy named the Dajjal in their, in their eschatology. And, um, you know, like it's, it's funny to follow, it's almost like point for point, but, uh, uh, you know, Islam kind of looks at everything good in Christianity and calls that evil. And Christianity looks at everything so-called good in Islam and says, no, that's evil. So who's right? I would go with the Bible. Have you ever read the Quran? Um, I've read the Quran uh, several times. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I know that some people say, you're not supposed to disrespect a holy book. It's not a holy book, it's a satanic book. And, it's, and it was written like a kindergartner wrote it. And like, if you read it, it's shocking, shocking that people actually believe in the Quran as a holy book from the prophet Muhammad. Um, but uh, the Bible withstands uh, scholarship and scrutiny for 2000 years uh, as, as something that's not just a book of literature, it's actually living and powerful. But it's interesting, there's a lot of non-Christian religions that believe in sort of a, uh, a apocalyptic event and a, a second coming of someone. Uh, but um, when asked if Jesus will return to earth someday, um, more than half of all U.S. adults, 55%, including three quarters of Christians say this will happen. Um, among evangelical Protestants, 92% uh, 
uh, believe that Jesus is gonna return to earth someday. Um, that's kind of interesting. Um, evangelicals are divided on questions about the circumstances of Jesus's return with 44% taking a pre-millennial stance um, and 45% saying that it's impossible to know the circumstances that will precede Jesus's return. Can you guess which group that is? That's the group I just talked about, the mega churches that don't talk about Bible prophecy. Why do they not talk about? Because it's impossible to figure it out. It, that is true if you don't read your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it is impossible. But if you read a Bible, oh, it's more than possible. Jesus gives us all kinds of stuff to talk about, and um, especially in the Olivet Discourse. By the way, Paul the Apostle had a lot to say about the end times in the last days. Um, uh, he said, know this also, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That word perilous, the Greek word kalifos, uh, which means hard to bear, troublesome, dangerous, harsh, fierce, and savage times. Um, those will be the last days. And you know, depending on who you are, where you live, you could say that there's places on the earth that are harsh, dangerous, perilous, fierce, savage. Um, and you'd think as time as progresses, you know, if, if you come from sort of that Gene Roddenberry sort of worldview, the Star Trek, you know, we're gonna reach this utopian uh, universe or time where the United States suddenly all gets along and we go out and search uh, other worlds to help them come to the great enlightenment that we've come to. Um, you know, that sounds so good. Like if you're a Star Trekky, it sounds so great. But the Bible says it's only gonna get worse. And boy, that sure is what's happening. Uh, that's what we're seeing. Uh, humanity, you think with technology, you know, if you were a strictly a secularist and didn't believe in God, you'd think with technology and our ingenuity and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, becoming smarter and smarter, you'd think we'd get better at, um, you know, things. But right now, we've got a war in Ukraine. We got the, you know, Russians, uh, you know, attacked the Ukrainian drones, I guess, hitting Moscow now this last week. And, and then you got the Russians saying, we're gonna blow the whole thing up with nuclear weapons. Like, this is, this is pretty fierce and savage language. Uh, that you know, Moscow's saying today and uh, war from China and Taiwan and uh, the Middle East. Like there's all, it, there, there's, there's so many years of, of human warfare. Uh, and uh, you, you kind of think, when are we gonna figure that out? Well, that's gonna come when Jesus returns. The second coming of Christ, there's gonna be a peace, an everlasting peace. So if you're looking for the Gene Roddenberry thing, don't look for Gene, look for Jesus. Because uh, Jesus is the one who's gonna bring that everlasting peace and, um, and greatness back to uh, the, you know, this, 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 this old fallen apart world. So um, the disciples would hear this and they would believe, as you read the later writing of the apostles, um, uh, you'd, you realize they believed the last days were coming in their time. And they wrote that way. Again, they were right to be wrong. Uh, that's the way the Lord wants us to live with that eminence of his return. And so, um, so Mark chapter 13, uh, we pick up the story where Jesus is gonna address this very issue and these topics. It starts in verse one and says, and as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be one, uh, left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Um, we talked about this briefly on Sunday, just kind of introducing Mark 13, but um, this is that, that you know, prediction. Jesus made a prophetic uh, statement here that not one of these stones would stand on another. And I'll, I've gone over this in detail in other you know, times and studies, but um, this is one of the fascinating things to see when you go to Jerusalem, because what Jesus predicted here happened uh, precisely in AD 70, Titus Longimanus. And, you know, I talked about this where one of the Roman soldiers shot a flaming arrow over the temple wall, into the temple, through the big doors. The doors were like 14 stories high of the temple in Jerusalem. Herod the Great remodeled this temple. It was a beautiful, uh, it was one of the wonders of the ancient world, you know, back in those days. Uh, it was like an amazing feat to build a 14-story building in those days, and they had huge stones that they used. But um, not one of those stones would stay on another because that flaming arrow melted all the gold when the fire broke out in the temple, the gold melted in the temple. And so Titus, after the killing of, you know, um, you know some, some say up to a million Jews, uh, the Romans, um, after doing that, then they uh, got the command to tear all the stones apart so they could get all the gold and all the precious uh, metal out of that, the cracks of the rocks. 
Um, and the, one of the things, you know, archeological digs came up with this. Um, if you go to the Western Wall, um, you know where the Wailing Wall is? You always see pictures of the, the Wailing Wall. Well, if you could just go south on the same wall, if you go south of there, just a few hundred yards, it drops you down into this picture is a picture we I think I took this picture with my iPhone. Um, and you can see that that wall looks like the Western Wall on, on, the, on the right side of that picture. And these are a bunch of Athey Creekers kind of looking. But do you see the big divots that are in that road that used to be there? That road used to go all the way through Jerusalem and then they built over it uh, centuries and centuries later. The Western Wall where you, the people are wailing, there, if, you, if you were to cut, walk on this road and then go up 30 feet through the rock, then you'd be at the Western Wall level of that. But these stones that are thrown over, uh, that are piled up there, those are the stones of the uh, Herod the Great era temple that were thrown down. Um, some of those stones have been cleaned up, but those divots that are in that Romans road were from the big rocks. They had huge stones that fell and hit that road and uh, caused there to be these big divots where the rock, rocks hit. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's fun to see the Bible you know, come to life. When you go to Jerusalem, you actually see where they threw the stones over from 70 AD. Uh, when you go to uh, Rome, you can go and see Titus's arch that was, uh, I think it was built like in 72 AD. It was uh, commemorating his victory against Jerusalem, crushing Jerusalem. And on the inside of the arch, you can see the Roman soldiers carrying the menorah off uh, as uh, battles, you know, score, you know, and, and there, there's, it's all in, depicted in the stone of Titus's arch from, from that era. Like it's, it's one of the most uh, uh, incredible times of history. And Jesus predicted that. He said, you know, not one of these stones will stay on another. So, um, uh, what's interesting, um, Jesus didn't seem to have a fondness toward Jerusalem, uh, although he loved the people, but the city and even the temple itself, it seems like Jesus was like, yeah, whatever, the, the temple's gonna be destroyed. Um, but Brett, isn't the temple holy? Well, what makes the temple holy? Uh, you know, what makes a temple holy is God's presence. And God's presence had gone out of that temple for a long time. The Jews did not have God's presence there in Jerusalem, let alone the Ark of the Covenant uh, that had the, you know, the Shekinah glory that was you know, lost long before this. Um, but, um, but Jesus wasn't impressed with the building. Just like I think Jesus is not impressed with this building at Athey Creek. Um, what makes Athey Creek holy? Nothing really except for you and I. We're the, we're the church of Jesus Christ. That's what's in the building and Christ dwells in us. That's what makes this building important. If you take the church out of Athey Creek, turn this into a bowling alley or a skating rink or something. Uh, it's not important. Brad, you shouldn't talk about our church that way. We love our church. Oh, I do too. I love, I love our church, but don't ever be into the building. Like the building is something that's not really that important. It's what the Lord's doing in that building. And um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've learned over the years to really almost despise what people do to try to puff air into buildings and make them look super, super holy. Um, in fact, I hope I'm not too jaded because when I take people to Israel, I'm, I'm kind of usually joking around with people or even when we go on Paul's missionaries journeys to Rome and places, I, I, I'm kind of cynical because um, they, they ruined these places where things happened. Uh, and I don't even wanna see it. I'm not interested in man trying to make things. Let me show you a couple uh, things here, for example. Um, these, this, this, picture, uh, is, this picture on the left is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, that's just one area of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And then on the right, that's the Church of the Nativity where, where Jesus uh, was born. Do you think it looked like that when Jesus was born in the manger? No, some people came in and ruined those locations with chrome uh, and gaudy brass and some gold, you know, sparkly stuff. Um, and, and, and it just gets kind of grotesque. People are more into worshiping the place than actually the things that happened or the one that was there, Jesus. Um, when you go to the church, here's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is some video. I think I shot this, some of this. Micah shot some of it. I shot some of it, but... Um, um, and the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is also fairly gaudy and sort of weird. These mosaics are kind of cool and stuff to see. And they're very old. Like some of the stuff is very, very old, which is cool. Not as old as the time of Christ, but they believe Jesus laid on this stone, his body. Uh, and so these people come and kiss and wipe their cloths on this stone and, and uh, hopefully get some of Jesus's DNA on their cloths and stuff like that. Uh, uh, you know, they'll bring, you know, scarves from their mother and grandmother and wipe them down and stuff. Uh, hoping to get Jesus on there. 
Um, but this is, this is all part of the church. So people crawl in there, you know, it's, and they believe Jesus died and rose again. It was, this place was declared by uh, Helena, Constantine's mother, uh, that, that this is where Jesus died and rose again. It's probably not even the place. That's the funniest part. Um, in, in my opinion, and some uh, archeological type people, they don't, they don't think that was the, um, the place. When you go to um, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, um, this is kind of an amazing, uh, amazing thing uh, to see. Uh, arch- architecturally, it's incredible. Um, but it's so God, like here's St. Peter. Remember I told you about the toe? Micah got a shot of this when we were there last time. This is my, um, um, this is St. This is Peter. Notice his hand held thus because uh, he's so holy. Um, but this is where he used to have a toes there. But I think they put J.B. Weld in there because they, they, they kissed the toe clean off. Uh, that toe is as smooth as a baby's bottom right there. Uh, uh, there's no more toes left from people kissing it. Um, I, you couldn't pay me enough money to kiss that. Uh, um, that's gross. And, and here's the thing. Uh, do you think Peter's like, oh, they're kissing my toe. That's so awesome. Um, now, if you're from a Catholic tradition and you're saying, Brett, you shouldn't talk about St. Peter's Botolica, um, I, would just, I would just gently, lovingly say, be careful. Because like, I feel like our Catholic friends, um, well-meaning, but they forgot. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And if you go into these places, there's graven images everywhere. And well, they're not worshiping. Well, wait a minute. If you go there, they're kissing the toes of these graven images. And I just think that we're playing with fire with that stuff. Um, and, and also, I'm pretty sure if Peter saw this, if I read the Bible and see what Peter did in those guys, he would have ripped his clothes and said, I am not a God, I'm only a man. Like, like what, what happened to uh, just going with kind of what the Bible says? And we could go on and on. And I'm not just bashing Catholic traditions. Christians do the same thing. Uh, you know, the church, uh, Greek Orthodox, uh, Russian Orthodox, like they get, we get into our icons and, and stuff. And, um, you know, uh, Athe Greek, we, we probably swung the, the opposite way. Um, uh, someday I'll probably, we'll probably have a cross in here, but I, I don't have one because people are so weird about it. Hey, Pastor Brett, this isn't a real church. Why not? Because there's no cross in your sanctuary. Um, if you think a cross makes a, uh, that makes me say, I'm not gonna have a cross. Because people are, now I love the cross. I, I get letters, Brett, you hate the cross, I know. But I'm like, no, uh, that's, not, that's not the point. Um, I, I have a cross in my office, uh, if believe it or not. Um, but, um, but I could take it down and not feel bad about it. Uh, see, if I put a cross up here on the wall and then I said, you know what? I think we're gonna take the cross down. People would leave our church. He took the cross down. Um, anyway, icons and stuff. The reason this is all kind of important is because um, the church, what we have to discern are these church buildings, um, have they, has God long left the church? Um, Like in those buildings? When I went to St. Peter's Basilica, it was beautiful, it was amazing architecture, incredible history, but I didn't sense the Lord there at all. In fact, if you go to St. Peter's Basilica, it's hard pressed to find anything of Jesus, it's all Peter. Peter's the you know, head of the church, so it's all about Peter, St. Peter. Um, watch out for this. Um, Jesus walked into the temple, which they said was the most holy building of all, and turned the tables. And he even stopped, remember what we read there in Mark chapter 11, where uh, he said in verse 16, and Jesus would not suffer that any man should even carry any vessel through the temple. Like Jesus stopped people from carrying vessels. You say, well, what's the pro- what was the problem with them carrying a vessel? That meant they were on their way to do sacrifice and do the worship that they were normally supposed to do in the temple. Jesus was stopping temple worship when he said, you know, you've made my father's house into a den of thieves and turned the tables. And I wonder how many of us would have our church's tables turned today and Jesus say, what are you guys doing with statues of Mary and Peter and, you know, St. James and John. And I think we've, uh, we've kind of missed the point uh, some. And, you know, you can, you can be mad at me because I'm going against what a whole huge sect of church history. But again, my measurement is the Bible. It's not church history. I can't defend church history. There's been a lot of bad behavior in church history. But um, there's, there's also a lot of bad behavior in Protestants and Catholics. We gotta get, all of us, we have to get back to the Bible and say, what does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible actually teach? And uh, I leave this picture up here just for a few more minutes. Um, <laughs> I wanted to go and put big Nikes on there or something. I don't know, just, so they would stop kissing or whatever. But 
Anyway, um, but here in Mark, you know, um, Jesus, he's not impressed by the building. He's not impressed by the temple. He says, not one of these stones are gonna stay on top of another. But this made the disciples start to think, and that brings us to this next sort of question. Um, and, um, and it says there in verse three, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when these things shall be fulfilled? So they're sitting looking, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives. Here's a picture uh, looking from the Mount of Olives, uh, pardon me, from the Temple Mount up to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus was probably sitting somewhere on this mountain right there, looking toward us on this picture, the Mount of Olives. Um, and, and we know from only Mark's account that it was the four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, who asked the question. The other accounts just say, the disciples asked Jesus a question. Um, but what is the question that was, that was given there? It's, it's, um, it's an interesting question. And again, Mark really abbreviates this. And this Mark's abbreviated um, version of, of verse four uh, raises all kinds of question and even uh, debate. Do you guys remember when we were in uh, Matthew 24, we talked about, is it two questions or three? Do you guys remember that, that the disciples asked? Let me just go through a little review of that because um, um, it might uh, sort of um, spark the memory. But one of the things we talked about is um, Matthew King James says at the end of the world, um, is it the end of the world or the end of the age? And that's a big debatable thing. People talk about that because it is a definition of what is the whole chapter about? Is it about the end of the age or the end of the world? Well, what's the difference? Well, for the Preterists, they believe it was an end of an, an age. Uh, in AD 70, the Preterist view of end times and stuff, they say all the Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. Nothing's in the future, it's all in history. So Matthew 24 and 25 happened in AD 70 when Jerusalem was crushed. Um, I'll show you why that's not really possible uh, when we, as we go through this a little further later. It wasn't just a local thing that happened in Jerusalem. What Jesus is describing is global. And it's gonna be cataclysmic, not just one little point in history. Uh, you know, AD 70 was no doubt a brutal time for Jews in Jerusalem, but it was just another city being sacked uh, by the Romans. That happened every other day. The Romans crushed, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of big cities uh, during the Roman Empire. Um, so the end of the world, uh, interesting Greek word for world is ion which means era, unit of time as a particular stage in history. So uh, you could translate it end of an age, but which age are we talking about? And, and I think the disciples sort of embed that in the question. If you look at, so Matthew 20, uh, 24, the same verse that uh, is the equivalent of uh, Mark 13, three, but in Matthew 24, three, um, this is how it goes. Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then the scholars debate, is this two questions or three? Uh, so one you know, uh, way of putting it is, when will these things be? And, and this, most scholars agree, this, the disciples are asking these things being, when's the temple gonna be destroyed? So when will the temple be destroyed? Most people agree on that one. And then what will be the sign of your coming? We're talking about his second coming. Um, and then, possibly a third question, and the end of the world or the end of the age. Uh, and so some would say they, they asked three different questions and Jesus is gonna answer all three questions. The other debate says, no, 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 uh, it goes more like this. When will these things be? Uh, and what will be the sign of the coming at the end of the age? They put that all in one thing. And, and you say, Brett, what's the deal? Tomato, tomato, what's the difference? The difference is how you interpret the Olivet Discourse. Um, and, and do you believe it's talking about just AD 70 or is it talking about the future and the end of the age, the end of the world? And I think, I think it, if you took, carefully read, even in Mark's short version, I think you're gonna get a sense. He's talking about the end of the whole world and the second coming of Christ and the destruction of the temple. I think he's gonna talk about all three of those things uh, in our text here. So all that to say, uh, that's just review. If you wanna go into that deeper, we, did, we took a little deeper dive in Matthew 24 on that. Um, but um, you know, uh, Jesus is now gonna answer verse five. And Jesus answering them began to say, take heed lest any man deceive you. He starts off with this uh, idea of take heed. I'm not trying to be fancy with Greek language, but I'm always intrigued by how some of the Greek words are hard to translate and they don't come out the same. Um, the Greek word for take heed, there's two English words we use, take heed. 
but the Greek word is blepo, uh, and it means beware. Not just listen up, but like it's almost more of a warning, uh, and it's a heavy warning, blepo. Weigh carefully, discover, and understand. Like, don't just think lightly about what Jesus is talking about. And then he says, so blepo, take heed, be careful, beware, lest any man deceive you. And, and so when Jesus starts this discussion, he's talking about how deception is gonna be one of the main marks of the last days, the end of the world, uh, even perhaps the lifetime of the disciples and the destruction of the temple, there was deception going on. Um, where does the deception all come from? Well, Satan is called the father of lies. Uh, his name, Satan, means deceitful, deceitful one or deceiver. Um, so Satan is all about deception and deceiving. Is he still doing that today? Man, deception is rampant. I would say deception, from my opinion, watching what's going on around the world, <coughs> the levels of deception now are profound and what people are duped by. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me to think that uh, there's, there's people that think that it's great to have you know, men who call themselves women powerlifting against women or, or UFC fighting in the ring. Uh, men, because he thinks he's a woman, is able to fight, uh, you know, like, like uh, the swimmers and all that. Like, like this is something, some people are really, really, really deceived. Um, and what's amazing is the percentage of our population is like, yeah, if they think they're a woman, then they're a woman. Um, they're deceived. The Bible, again, it's not my opinion, the Bible's the anchor, and the Bible says he created the male and female, male, female, and he also divvies out um, divvies out the duties and responsibilities of male and female. And like it or not, that's the way God says it. And he's the creator of male and female. The deception is as rampant and crazy as Target and the you know, tucking clothes and all that stuff and uh, the, all this stuff. But it's as subtle as what the church is embracing in egalitarian versus complementarian. What do you mean, Brett? Well, um, the roles of men and women in the church. And, and if, you know, if, you, if you wanna just go with what the Bible says clearly and plainly, the Lord, it's not that he diminishes women or there's no, you know, there's, in fact, if you see, read the Bible carefully, women are in a place of real honor. Uh, but it just so happens that the Lord passed out the duties and said, I want the pastors and the elders in the church to be men. Hate that, despise it, be angry about that. It's still what God says in his word. And you can try to tweak it and say, well, we're living in a different day. By the way, once you say that about the Bible, it's we're living in a different day. And we know now that men and women, there's no difference. And, and we, women can do anything men can do. And you can, you can say all that stuff um, and just say, well, that part of the Bible's wrong. But here's, that's like the, that's the entry drug into saying, well, I don't like this part of the Bible. And I don't, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't like. Um, if I were God, I probably would have said, yeah, women, can do whatever men can do. I think women are amazing and smarter than men and able to do things that we can't. And like, I would say, and I also, you know what else I don't like about, I don't like hell. If I were God, I'd say, yeah, I'm gonna take hell out. And, um, but guess what? I'm not God. Uh, what's funny is there, there's people that think they are and they can just, oh, we don't, I like to think of hell as just a pretend place. And I like to think women can be pastors in the church. And I like to, and, and, and once you open that door, pretty soon homosexuality is not an abomination. It's actually to be celebrated. And churches are doing that. Why? Because they've been deceived. Deception is going crazy right now. And it's not just in the secular crazy world of Target and you know, North Face and Budweiser, Bud Light. Uh, it's, in the, it's in the church of Jesus Christ in more subtle ways and people are being deceived. That's why Jesus warns right here. And this is another sign of the time already. One of the signs of the times is mass deception. And by the way, Second uh, Thessalonians reminds us that in the last days, there's gonna be even like, like the way uh, Paul puts it is uh, strong delusion is gonna come and then God's gonna turn them over to their own delusions. Um, and I feel like that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing be people being turned over, perhaps by the Lord himself saying, oh, you wanna live that deception and believe that? Okay, we're gonna let you go to where you're literally losing your marbles. And I think that's what we're wa watching today. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking. So um, all that to say, um, take heed. Uh, the word take heed, blepo, is used four times in chapter 13. We'll see that this word blepo or take heed 
or however your newer translations translate that. Um, one of the translations, I forget which one, doesn't even say it. Uh, it leaves it out. Uh, they don't put any word for blepo, which is uh, unfortunate. But um, that, that word, I've marked that in my Bible because it, it says it four times, take heed. Spiritual deception is on the way. Um, and um, by the way, um, speaking of deception, I, I told you the, the good anchor we have is the word, the word, the word. But one of the things deception's really trying to knock is the word. It's, it's, it's always been Satan's deceitful way is to try to diminish the word, hide the word, destroy the word. Like throughout history, they've, the word of God has been targeted, but Satan has only failed in destroying the word of God. It's almost like the harder he's tried, the more the word of God is prolific and powerful and uh, doesn't just go away. Um, but there's new forms of trying to do away. Did you see this article? Um, uh, a World Economic Forum contributor says, AI could rewrite the Bible and cre uh, create correct religions. Concerns about the potential misuse of artificial intelligence are escalating yet again after a prominent professor and philosopher said he believes AI could write the new Bible within just a few years. Um, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, known for being a contributor and speaker of the World Economic Forum, is promoting the idea that AI will be able to generate a new globally accepted religious book. Um, maybe you saw this uh, uh, in July 17th, the Chinese Communist Party is rewriting the Bible. The rewritten Gospel of John, uh, they've already done John, um, uh, doesn't end with mercy like the, our Bible, but Jesus himself stoning the adulterous woman to death. The 10 year project to rewrite the Bible and the Quran and other sacred texts is all part of Xi Jinping's quest to make the faithful serve the party rather than God. Chairman Xi declared, we will insist on the sinicization, which means the, to make it more Chinesey. Um, <laughs> the sinicization, uh, I don't know how to say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the, of, of all the Chinese religions, make them more, you know, cynicized uh, to, and provide uh, active guidance for religion and socialism to coexist together. If it's not the Chinese, or if it's not um, World Economic Forum, uh, PETA, um, which stands for People Eating Tasty Animals. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, um, PETA... <laughs> This article uh, just in May uh, 2023, Peter rewrites part of the Bible using AI to make it more vegan. In this new text, we include updated moral lessons and modern day applications fit for the 21st century. This interpretation reminds readers to treat every member of God's creation with love, kindness, and respect. And I do, those ribeye steaks, I love them. Um, but anyway, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, there's even churches of AI now. I've shown you that in prophecy updates and what have you. And, and those sermons are written by AI pastors. Like um, there's, there was articles, uh, I have articles that I talked about in prophecy updates like 10 years ago that was predicting AI will start rewriting the Bible uh, by 2043 or whatever uh, they were saying. Uh, they were off on their timing. Uh, AI is here and uh, it's already doing all that stuff. Um, but you know, this idea of deception, uh, I think relativism is, is one of the greatest tools. People have embraced, you know, the God to me religion. Well, God to me is more of a female than he is a male. Or God to me, uh, you know, and, and God to me is not God for thee. Uh, you know, like they've got this sanctimonious attitude that I can come up with sort of my version of God and the Bible and all that stuff. Um, or the blending of two religions or all religions. I think all paths, you know, lead to the same place. Uh, new age, all that stuff is an old lie. And it's the old lie that's been going on uh, from the beginning, uh, even in the Garden of Eden, new age. Um, but many will come with that deceiving work in the last days. And Jesus starts his whole thing off with, take heed, lest any man deceive you. So deception, that's, that's job one, according to Jesus's account. Well, he says in verse six, he says, um, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Notice the word Christ in most of your Bibles there is in italics. What does that mean? Anybody know? They added, the, the translators added the word Christ to try to help make it clearer. And sometimes it is helpful because the way English is translated from Greek or whatever. So sometimes that's helpful. It's not a heresy to add a word like this. 
But I think sometimes it's unfortunate. But um, I think that what Jesus is saying is actually more relevant without the Christ word. Why? Because it, it really just, if you look at the original Greek, for many shall come in my name saying, I am, and shall deceive many. And that, they would have recognized Jesus saying that. The I am was something the Hebrew people knew. Why, why was the I am important to Hebrew people? Well, Exodus chapter three, verse 14. Um, you know, this is where the Greek, they called it the ego emi. Um, and, and the ego emi is just a fancy way of, um, of saying, um, you know, I exist or I, am, I have been and always will be. The ego emi, the I am. I exist, I have, and I always will be. Uh, the Jews would have been familiar with this from Moses' burning bush, who said to Moses in Exodus 3.14, um, and God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus thou shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me to you. Um, that's God's name, the I am, the ego me, or the great tetragrammaton, as it's called the YHWH of the, of the Hebrew translation. <coughs> and so uh, Jesus, by the way, uh, I, love, I love the I am statement there in Exodus because throughout the rest of the Bible, Jesus or you know, the Lord in his word reveals who the I am is. And basically you can deduce and say, I am is, you, you are what Lord? You are everything humanity needs, everything that we've needed, everything that um, uh, we lack. He is everything that, that is the fulfillment of all things good and perfect and holy, uh, the I am. Um, and then Jesus came and made all these I am statements. Uh, and this is a great study. Do a, do a family devotion on the seven I am statements of Jesus because he fills in the blank. Moses might say, you are what? And Jesus said, I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. He said, I am the door, John 10, verse nine. Uh, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, um, John 10, 11. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said in John 15, five. <clears throat> he said, I am the way, the truth and the life, John 14, six. And I am the living water, John 7, 37. And I am the light of the world. The, the seven I am egoimi statements. Um, so, so I love this, you know, this is what we need to know, but that's why it's important that when Jesus says this, that many shall come in my name saying, I am. Uh, but you could say, you are not. Uh, there's only one I am and that's God. And, um, and we know that Jesus is God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us, the great I am. So um, it's the mystery of, of, of Christianity. There's only one I am and, uh, and that's the Lord himself. Um, by the way, uh, Mark Twain said, a lie runs around the world while truth is putting on her shoes. Um, you know, it's interesting, these deceptions that the church and people are saying, it's, it's like deception has a way of traveling fast. Um, but I'm telling you, um, one of the things I love is the Bible is our anchor. So we gotta stick back you know, to the text of what the Bible says. Um, watch out for deception. Many are gonna come and saying, I am the Christ. You might say, well, Brett, who's saying I am the Christ? You know, um, uh, It gets weird watching people be deceived about who you should worship. Uh, when we were in Israel, we were baptizing in the Jordan River at a place where actually Calvary chapels years and years ago built this, Cal this uh, baptismal thing. And then the, the Calvary chapels turned it over back to the Israeli <clears throat> government. So it's become a little weird now uh, because it's, it's been controlled by the government. And so you have to pay money to go get baptized in the Jordan River. It's all about the dollar or you know, the shekel. Um, but, um, but we were baptizing a bunch of Athe Creekers in the Jordan River. And uh, I had my guy there leading worship. Uh, uh, and, um, and this lady came up and she, she's from America somewhere, probably you know, the Bible Belt, I think. And she said, do you guys flag? And uh, our, my worship leader said, we don't flag, no. Uh, you mind if we flag with you? And, and Matt said, yes, we mind. <laughs> now, if you don't know, flagging. Um, uh, I was told that we had some sweet ladies that came to the worship thing the other night and they busted out some flags and, and some of the ladies came and said, you know what, we don't really flag here. Uh, can you please put your flags away? Um, now we weren't trying to be rude. It's just flagging is something people made up. It's just an idea to be kind of weird if you ask me. Um, it's not biblical. Uh, oh, the banner over me is love. That's not, that's, you're making stuff up. That's not what that all means. Uh, flagging, like uh, people do that in church worship, they'll flag. And if you do that, I'm sorry, uh, just show me where it says we're supposed to do that in the Bible and we'll bust out, we'll unfurl, unfurl those bad boys. Um, <laughs> 
uh, but I don't see it anywhere. Now, um, it, it's expressive and emotional and people get all into that and colors and all that. Uh, I just am not really into kind of making up stuff for us to do. Um, and so uh, th- if you ever see flags bust out at eighth degree, that's, they're not going along. And usually one of our lo- lovely deacons or elders will come up and say, you know, ma'am, would you please put that away? Well, in this case in Jerusalem, this lady, you know, Matt said, we don't flag and we, we don't want you flagging here with us. And she went, <laughs> and she went down, got a bunch of her lady friends from, you know, and they, they came out with these flags. And man, they unfloraled these huge, it was like, and she was waving over the territory, claiming it for Jesus and all this stuff. And, um, and it was just weird, you know, and, and we couldn't stop them and uh, kind of ruined our time, if you ask me. But, um, but later on, this, this group, uh, by the way, it was, it was a group that was, there were 13 buses with Benny Hinn. Uh, so that makes sense, if you know Benny Hinn and stuff. Um, so the, these Benny Hinsters were following us everywhere we went in Israel. Like we'd go to the one site and the Benny Hinners would show up and, but a week later, we're in Jerusalem, and, and guess what? I see the same ladies, and the pastor is teaching from his church. And you know what the ladies are doing now? They're not flagging. They were bowing down before their pastor, kissing his feet. Yeah, the same ladies. Um, and, uh, and to me, that's just weird paganism, wackoness. Um, and, um, and, and where does all that come from? I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you examples, in case you're just a little bit in the dark about some of the weird stuff that's going on around the world. Um, you know, this, this is something, I'll even show you more later if we have time. I'm running out of time, so I better uh, hurry. But um, uh, by the way, um, BBC did an article um, uh, about the Holy Land, and this article says, the title, Holy Land Overwhelmed with Messiahs. Um, Israel is beefing up its mental health services as it prepares for an outbreak of Jerusalem syndrome. It's a real thing. A condition which convinces thousands of tourists they are Jesus or other biblical figures. It has been estimated about 40,000 people will suffer biblical delusions during their Christmas visit to the Holy Land. 40,000 people just in one Christmas. Every year, thousands of tourists become so affected by the Holy City's powerful religious icons, they're overwhelmed by delusions that they are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ or one of the disciples. The syndrome affects around 1% of visitors. Uh, and with 4 million expected to arrive in Jerusalem over the millennium, 40,000 could be affected. The most frequent sufferers are British and American visitors. <laughs> Helen Davis from the British Israeli Public Affairs Center said, sometimes they are quite harmless or usually quite harmless, but sometimes they need serious treatment. Um, so, you know, you, you might think, oh, who are these people thinking they're the Christ? Well, I mean, in a goofy way, there's already 40,000 just at a Christmas time that goes to Jerusalem and thinks they're messiahs or whatever. Um, uh, so this is something that's actually real. Uh, we could also talk about the heavy hitters of people that claim to be messiahs, but um, those ones are more obvious. Well, verse seven. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be but the end shall not be yet. So that's gonna be before the end, something that is a precursor is wars and rumors of war. Um, and for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, um, the, the, it's interesting because uh, there's two things that sound redundant, nation against kingdom, but one is nation, but another is ethnicity. That's, that means racism. So it's gonna be nation against nation, ethnicity against ethnicity is kind of the way Jesus is saying that in the original language. Um, shall, there shall be earth, earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. So this list we've gone over in detail in Matthew 24. And so I'm not gonna talk a lot about that, but wars, rumors, wars, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, earthquakes, famines, troubles. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Mark that word sorrows. That's the word odin in the Greek, which means the pain of childbirth, travail pain, birth pains. And it agrees with what Jesus said in Matthew 24, Mark 13. Uh, Paul would employ this. We showed you on Sunday the, the whole idea of childbirth. The more frequent the, <coughs> excuse me, the contractions, the more uh, close the baby's coming is the idea. Um, so uh, verse nine, but take heed. There it is, another take heed. Um, to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils and in the synagogues you shall be beaten and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. 
Now, this is interesting because here, this is something that was fulfilled in the disciples' lifetime. Uh, they were brought before councils. They were beat, all of them were beaten. Um, and I believe that's kind of happening. And it, it's happening to believers today, um, not as much here in the United States. It could happen here in the United States, but it's, Christians are being beaten and tortured. They have been, uh, you know, just, just uh, be, be in tune what's going on with our brothers and sisters around the world. Voice of the martyrs um, to the world right now. A Bible-believing Christian is one of the worst people in the world. Uh, and it's becoming more and more that way. But all these things are gonna happen. Um, but notice it says, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now, here's a question for you. Has the gospel been published in all nations? Um, you know, the word published, it doesn't mean it's received in all nations, but it's published in all nations. And I think the answer might be yes. But what if it isn't, Brett? Well, that's why we continue to preach the gospel in all nations. And that's why we send missionaries still. Like we're gonna keep doing that until the rapture of the church. Uh, Cause we don't know if it's reached all nations, all people. Um, you know, I remember my trip to Vanuatu, you know, you fly from here to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Fiji, from Fiji to Port Vila, from Port Vila you fly to this little island called Pentecost on a grass runway. And I landed on this grass one runway and then got on my backpack and then, or took my backpack, got in a little boat, went around the aisle a couple miles and then started on this trail over a volcano. And like, like now I'm seeing people with naked people with spears and bones in their noses by this time. And I'm thinking, man, and um, I, my trans, I took a translator with me and I'm hiking over this mountain uh, to this little village called Boonlap, which is like the furthest most regions of the earth. Like, like and, um, and I met this, uh, the chief at the Boonlap and, and I said, you know, when was the last time you guys, cause he was, they were looking at my white skin and they lifted my arm and said, you look like you'd be good to eat, you know? And, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, everybody's a comedian, you know? Um, the chief there, uh, I said, when was the last time you saw a white guy here? And he said, one year ago. And, um, and, and I said, you know, who, who was here? And, and he told me who it was. And I realized it was the guy that sent us, my buddy, Jim Corson, who uh, was there the year before. And then before that, it was National Geographic who did a thing on their, their diving off the bamboo towers and hitting their head on the ground. Maybe you've seen that with vines tied to that. Like, that's where they do that. But I'm like, man, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Has the gospel reached Boonlap, you know? And uh, what's funny is uh, I, I, all these mud huts are these, are these uh, tropical huts with mud and it was just dirty and filthy and kind of, you know, they're very tribal. Um, and I went, looked behind one of the huts and there was a little satellite dish uh, behind one of the huts. <laughs> and they, were, they had TVs and stuff there in Boonlap. Um, but then I hiked just a couple miles from Boonlap to a place called Ranwas. And that, the Boonlap was the city that rejected the gospel and Ranwas was the town that accepted the gospel. And it was night and day. I wish you guys could see it. The children were healthy and clothed and learning you know, to read and write. And I know George Fox teaches over there that missionaries have ruined the world. Um, that's, I got one of their textbooks I can show you. It's crazy that they teach that now. Um, but um, missionaries are the problem. Uh, but we, if you look at the disease and death and the way people were beaten and stuff there in Boonlap Boon, Boon versus Ranwas, the gospel, uh, has reached some of the furthest places in the world uh, the gospel has reached. And I wonder, you know, when that last gospel message is shared, maybe that's when the rapture of the church is gonna happen. But anyway, uh, going, moving right along, oh boy. <laughs> Verse 11. But when they shall, ta- uh, shall lead you and deliver you up, take, uh, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate, but whatsoever uh, shall be given to you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not uh, ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. I have pastor friends, they see I don't have to study and prepare for my sermons. The Holy Ghost just speaks through me. Um, but uh, that's not the context. The context is in your suffering, being persecuted, beaten, standing before uh, councils. The Lord will give you the words to say, uh, don't worry. Uh, but there's other scriptures like 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself to prove unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, and also the comfort of the Holy Spirit will remind you, but he'll remind you and teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever things I've said to you. So if you're studying the Bible, the Holy Spirit will remind you the things you've read in the Bible. So that's kind of a neat part of that too. Verse 12, now the brother shall betray the brother to death and the father, the son and children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but 
Uh, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now, I believe this is where we shift from uh, New Testament church and time period to now we're getting close to what is closer to the end. Jesus is moving into the tribulation period. I believe this, if you compare it with Matthew 24 and 25, this is where the shift starts to happen. We know for sure that that happens in verse 14. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that reads understand, let them that um, be in Judea flee to the mountains. Again, this is Mark's really fast-paced version of, of uh, the same thing. Now, the abomination of desolation, I'm not gonna go into that. Um, this is what we covered in Matthew 24. Um, uh, if I could explain it as fast as it's unfolding on this slide, that'd be wonderful. Uh, but, um, but if you recall, you know, the timeline of end times events, the way uh, a pre-trib, pre-millennial view, which is what I believe, what Athe Creek believes, um, and, and we're not alone on this. This is a very common um, you know, belief. Um, and, and you can disagree. This isn't the one that, you know, it's essential doctrine of the Christian faith, but it is, I think, important. Um, you know, the, the next thing on the timeline is the rapture of the church. Then there's a seven-year period called tribulation and smack dab in the very middle of the tribulation is what an event Jesus talked about, referring to Daniel's prophecy about the abomination of desolation, when Antichrist will come, the world leader will uh, abominate the temple in Jerusalem. That's when the Jews will realize they've been duped. And that's when the Jews, their eyes will be open. All of Israel will be saved during this time. They'll realize that Jesus really was the Messiah. God has a plan for the Jews. But that last three and a half years of the tribulation is gonna be horrible. And Jesus is gonna talk about that now. After the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, the second coming of Christ, then there's the thousand-year millennial kingdom, the last judgment. And then, uh, you know, people will be resurrected um, to eternal life, others to eternal death. Uh, that's kind of the, if you want a more detailed description of this whole thing, we did that in Matthew <coughs> chapter 24. It says here, they're gonna flee to the mountains. Uh, the Jews, during the abomination of desolation, that's where they're gonna flee, to the mountain. Which mountains? <coughs> well, the Bible tells us in several places, um, by the way, this is Petra. This is our Athe Creekers hiking through Petra um, <coughs> in Jordan. It's an amazing place. If you're ever in the Middle East, you gotta stop by Petra. It's kind of a life-changing place. Um, this ancient city, the Nabataeans carved out these, uh, you know, uh, facades out of the walls. But basically, uh, Jews will flee. Isaiah 16, verses one through four, calls it Selah. <coughs> Excuse me, another name for Petra. And in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about this uh, lost city, you know, of Petra. The, the, the earth is gonna somehow help the Jews during that time where the Antichrist is gonna make war and maybe you think this is the Indiana Jones movie. Uh, no, this is our footage we shot walking in uh, to, this is the treasury. This is the first facade that you see when you go to Petra and it's where they filmed Indiana Jones. But uh, more importantly, <coughs> this is the beginning of a very protected uh, seek or uh, cliff system that, you can, that, uh, that the Jews will hide during the tribulation period. Now, will, will, the, will the earth help these, um, the Jews? Maybe in a way, but it's gonna be miraculous. It's gonna be a supernatural um, help uh, there. But right now, just Bedouins are in there. Uh, you can rent their camels or donkeys. Um, this is a, a big cliff and you can hike up into these tombs. Um, you can see people hiking up there. They're little tiny, tiny people, but um, it's an amazing place. But uh, it just sits there kind of empty and desolate uh, but this is where the Jews will flee, according to the Bible. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, um, that guy was getting money with, for photos, dressed up like a Roman. Um, but uh, th this is the biggest one. Uh, there, there's a person standing in the door there. I don't know if you can see that. Um, yeah, that's how big that is. Uh, there's a person in that doorway. Um, uh, I sat one time when nobody was there on that, that round thing there with my legs dangling over the top of that. But uh, anyway, there's a fence there. You can see you're not supposed to go in anymore. We used to do our Bible study inside there, but now you can't go inside. Anyway, I digress. Uh, again, we're running out of time. So um, Revelation, I'm not, I'm not gonna go to this. Jot this down. Revelation 12, 13 through 17 describes that whole event uh, where the earth's gonna help the Jews when the, 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 the Satan makes war against the Jews. And that's what's being talked about there. Um, but verse 15 goes on. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. Um, and let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. 
but woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days um, and pray that your flight be not in the winter for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, um, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. We went over this, who are the elect? It can be uh, in the Bible, Christians, but it, it's, it's referring to the Jews here. Um, this, by the way, um, is um, you know, fulfilled um, in the last half of the tribulation. And it's gonna be a brutal, brutal time. Um, but all, all that to say, uh, you know, um, uh, Joel chapter two, mark, mark this down, verses 28 through 33, also talks about what's gonna happen here. In fact, notice the, the global nature of this as we keep reading. Verse 21, and then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, that he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. That's the Jews, I believe, in the tribulation period. We're gonna be in heaven raptured by this time. But take heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Question, did that all happen in AD 70? See, that's the problem with the preterist view or the amillennial view. They, they say, oh, this has already happened. This is fulfilled prophecy. Well, when did Jesus come in his second coming? And when did the stars fall from the heaven? And when did the moon and the stars? Like this is a global event that's being talked about here. And also the persecution um, that happened in AD 70 wasn't like what the Bible says it was gonna be. Did you notice in verse 20, um, pardon me, verse 19, it says, for in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation. There were affliction times that were worse than AD 70 uh, in history. Um, but the, the last three and a half years of the tribulation is gonna be worse than the Holocaust. It's gonna be worse than um, you know, uh, uh, the World War I where millions of men were thrown into the meat grinder in the battlefield there uh, against Germany, Nazis. Like, like it, like th there's been some horrible times in the earth's history, but the second half of the tribulation is gonna be the worst time. That's why I'm glad we're not gonna be here. That's not to say we won't go through persecution before the rapture of the church. It just won't be the worst time in the world's history uh, like it will be here. So anyway, again, we've done deeper, uh, more in-depth uh, uh, study on this in Matthew uh, uh, 24 and 25. Um, now he goes to, to the parable of the fig tree, verse 28. Now learn the a parable of the fig tree when her branch is yet tender and puts forth uh, leaves, you know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the very door. In other words, you start seeing all these things starting to happen. Wars, rumors, wars, earthquakes in diverse places, um, you know, false messiahs, all this stuff. No, you're getting closer to the end. It's like when you see the leaves on the fig tree. Now in Matthew, it makes more of the point of the fig tree and the generation will not pass. Let's keep reading on. Um, I'll talk about that. So it says, verily, verse 30, I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So the question is, what's a generation and what's the fig tree blossoming and all that? Um, now there's a bunch of Bible prophecy guys that are bailing out of the Israel is being a picture by the, the fig tree. And I understand their argument. And it's an intriguing argument. Um, but one of the things you'll hear them say, and I, I have to disagree, and when they say, there's no case where the fig tree is a model or an example of Israel. Um, does, does anybody remember when Jesus used that model of a fig tree in Israel? Just a few chapters earlier in Mark uh, chapter, uh, uh, we just saw that a, a couple chapters ago. Um, Jeremiah 24 talks about G the Jews being like the rotten figs from the fig tree. Hosea 9.10 compares Israel to a fig tree. Judges 9, verses 10 through 11, references to uh, Israel as a fig tree. And uh, Matthew 21, 19, the same one, that's where uh, he cursed the fruitless fig tree, which was a type of Israel. 
Um, so the reason I think that's important, I, I just don't wanna have everybody so quickly bail out of the, the, the fig tree blossoming might just be Israel. I'm not gonna say die on that battlefield, but um, have we seen Israel blossom in our lifetime? The question is, you know, some said it was um, uh, you know, back in May of 1948 when the Jews became a nation again. But has a generation kind of come and gone? Depends on what you call a generation. Uh, some say it's 40 years, some say it's 70 years, some say it's 100 years. And you can make a biblical argument for all three of those. Um, but you could say, well, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it's when they got Jerusalem. Because remember, it was in 1967 when the Jews got Jerusalem back, the Temple Mount, that's blossoming on the fig tree. So 67, uh, maybe, but maybe not. Um, some are saying we're seeing the fig tree blossom right now because their economy is booming right now. Even though Israel's in real trouble. I'm gonna talk about Israel in our prophecy update on Friday because I haven't really covered some stuff lately and there's a lot to cover there. But um, they're in real trouble, but they're also really successful in kind of a strange uh, dichotomy right now. We'll talk about that. But, um, but if you're interested in the generation, the fig tree, I talked about that again uh, in, in Matthew's gospel about that. Well, um, verse 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then uh, verse 32, but of that day and that hour knows no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the son, but the father. Take heed, um, watch and pray, for you know not what time it is. For the son of man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, even in the evening or midnight or the cock crowing in the morning, lest coming suddenly find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And we looked at this uh, verses 32 through 37 on the weekend services. So um, uh, now you kind of see how that fits. Everything Jesus was talking about, what are we supposed to do? Watch. And what are churches largely not doing today? They're not watching. That's heartbreaking to me. It's, uh, Jesus made it perfectly clear. So all that to say, the Lord uh, is gonna bless you, I think, as you're taking time to watch and know the days and discern the times we're living. Uh, may the Lord give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word that is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And um, um, Lord, we kind of clipped through this whole uh, all of that discourse, but it, it, seeing it kind of in a one night setting too is a reminder of just the things that we're seeing unfold today. And I pray that we'd be a watchful bunch, that we wouldn't be messing around with sinful stuff, but Lord, put up within us a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. Um, build in your church uh, the heart to spread the good news of the gospel. Uh, like we talked about on Sunday, to do the work, to pray, but also to watch. So give us wisdom, Lord, may this uh, time tonight Bring good fruit in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.